0: Our scripture today is taken from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament and we find a comparison and contrast both in this passage of scripture which our pastor will share with us in the message this morning. From Hebrews chapter 12 verses 18 through 29, and this is the New International Version translation. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountains, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, "Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens." The words that once, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what are so that what cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. May God bless his word.
1: To the finale, if you will, of the worship series we've been in, and I hope that you'll come out of it with some fresh perspective on an old subject. Uh oh. Maybe that'll put an end to it. No? My goodness. All right. Tell you what, sometimes it's your friend, sometimes it's your enemy. Technology. Alright, well, well, as I was saying, we're coming to the end of it. Um, Before we dive into this uh, last sermon of this series, I wanted to mention just a couple of things. Uh, First off, you may have seen on social media, if you're out there on social media, that uh, this was Nancy Alcorn's 60th birthday. If you don't know who that is, uh, she is the founder of Mercy Ministries, who we're proud to support here at Cypress Street Church of God, and they do ministry in the lives of young women, and uh, both here in West Monroe, but also they have homes all over the country, and they bring girls from all over the country to those different homes. So even the home here in West Monroe has girls from all over the country that have various needs. Anyway, Nancy is actually from these parts originally. Now their headquarters is in Nashville and she spends a lot of her time there. But it was her 60th birthday and uh, Dave Ramsey sent out a suggestion. If you know Dave Ramsey, he's the financial guru. He's also based out of Nashville and must be buddies with her because he thought it would be a good idea to send out and say, hey, it's her 60th birthday. We ought to do something. Uh, So we thought it would be fun to uh, donate some from the missions and evangelism budget to uh, celebrate her 60th birthday. So we Did an extra 60 bucks for 60 years. We thought that would make sense. (laughs) and uh, So that was fun to do this week and celebrated that. I also wanted to mention to you that uh, because this is the last sermon of the worship series, you might be wondering, well, what's next? Well, what's next is a series on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it's appropriate that song we just shared with you is one of a couple of new songs about the Holy Spirit that we'll be learning even as we go through that. Um, so this it's going to be an interesting topic, I don't know how many sermon series you've heard on just the topic of the Holy Spirit, I haven't heard too many, if any, I've heard some sermons on it, but maybe not a whole series so we're going to be exploring that together and it'll be interesting for me, so hopefully it'll be interesting for you too, I think it's a a topic that maybe we've shied away from some in the past and we're definitely not going to shy away from it here in the coming weeks How many of you love math? Boy, nobody, nobody in the whole building loves math. Uh, When I was in school, we did a lot of math word problems. I assume they still do, and I assume they have for a long time. You get things like a farmer has 10 cows, all but seven of them die. How many cows are left? or uh, if you if you have one bucket that holds 2 gallons and another bucket that holds 5 gallons how many buckets do you have <laughs> You guys are quick All right now now this one's a little more intense You just came home and you walk into your room you find 10 people in one corner of your room 10 people in the other corner and another 10 people in the other corner and two people in the fourth corner How many people are in your room? How many of you said 32? You forgot to count yourself. (laughs) 33. Now, if if you search about word problems online, you find that you're not the only one that hates them. And I saw this one statement I thought was pretty humorous about math word problems. It says, Only in math problems can you buy 60 cantaloupes and nobody asks, what in the world are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And I particularly like this. uh, Sometimes you see these pictures, you know. How I see math word problems. If I have four pencils and you have seven apples, how many pancakes will fit on the roof? Purple because aliens don't wear hats. (laughs) And that's about as much sense as math problems sometimes make. Well, if you hate math that much, you're in for a real treat today, because we're going to do some math. Uh, We're winding down this series on worship, as we've shared, and uh, we've shared that worship is much more than just music we sing on Sunday, it's even much more than just gathering here on Sunday. Worship has very little to do with our personal preferences, and it has a lot to do with God's personal preferences we've said that it has everything to do with God and it's essentially giving God the credit he deserves. This world in which we live, they've got a knack, as we've said before, for taking the credit God deserves and giving it to all sorts of other stuff or taking it for ourselves. And such would we all be without the grace of God. But we who choose to worship him We purpose to give him the thanks, the credit, the worship that he alone is worthy of. And it's always all about him. And we've talked about how when we try to make it about us and our preferences, things get all out of whack. And we begin fussing over things that don't matter. We begin uh, getting frustrated that our church, for instance, this is just a symptom of what happens when we make worship about ourselves, but we we get frustrated that our church isn't giving us what we would prefer or what we would want. And so you jump from church to church or you look for pastor to pastor to, for someone that will speak something more relevant to your life or that will play the song you like or that will um, you know turn the lights up more or turn them down lower or whatever the case may be. And the problem is then we've made worship about us instead of making it about God. And so what happens when we get that right then is that we do end up receiving the blessing that we wanted all along when we get our priorities straight, when we get our motives straight and we come out of a desire to give God the credit and to make it about Him. So far through this series that ended up a little bit longer than I first intended (laughs) we've looked at worship as our response to God for who he is saying that he would be worthy of worship whether he had ever done anything for us or not just by who he is and then we looked at worshiping him also for what he has done because he has done things for us we've seen that worship is not only something that we do alone but it's also done together and we talked about the importance of unity and worshiping God together We've also talked about that it not only matters what we say to God or about Him, and it not only matters what we sing to God or about Him, although those things matter, but it especially matters what we show through our very lives. And what's more, as we looked at last week in worshiping in spirit and in truth, we find that worship ultimately is not so much, of true worship is not so much about religious stuff, As it is about living a transformed life to God. That is what true worship is about, as Jesus describes it. And so this week we're going to do some math and kind of one more aspect of worship. Now, maybe you've heard of transitive relation. I bet if you have, you wished you hadn't. Because here's the definition whenever an element A now first off why did they ever start putting letters in math? (laughs) it would have been just fine if they had stuck with numbers I mean that's anyway whenever an element A is related to an element B and B is in turn related to an element C then A is also related to C let's look at this another way. I think the most common expression of this is probably the bottom one. Um, But any of these work. The top one says, whenever A is greater than B and B is greater than C, then we also know that A is greater than C. The bottom one says, whenever A equals B and B equals C, then A must also equal C. See the, the following of the logic there? We're going to do a similar kind of thing today, a transitive relation, except that we're going to do it with this concept of worshiping by serving. And you've got a whole bunch of blanks today. And the first ones we're going to fill in are, if worshiping God means serving God, if A equals B, If worshipping God means serving God. Now, Brother Treadway read a passage to to us that we've actually explored very early on in this series a little bit. And this passage brings back to mind a story that we read from the book of Exodus. Where God's people, uh, the people of Israel, they've recently been uh, freed from Egypt we know the story from Hollywood or our Bible stories as, as kids, if we grew up in the church uh, of Moses and God sends him and he delivers through these plagues that God sends he delivers the people out of Egypt and so they leave and then they're wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness and at one point God says, he stops him at Mount Sinai it's a mountain out in a barren wilderness area and he stops him there and he says, Moses, I'm going to come down in glory and splendor. I'm going to talk to the people. I want them to know that when you speak for me, that you're really speaking for me. He kind of wanted to make an impression. And did he ever. So they spent a few days getting ready for this big moment, um, purifying themselves, going through some rituals, setting up barriers across the mountains because no one was supposed to go up onto the mountain uh, punishable by death. And they got ready for the moment, and the moment came, and God came down in glory and splendor and power and consuming fire, and he shook the earth, and he spoke out of this fire on the mountain, and the people, after it was all over, and they had finally recovered their legs under them, went to Moses and said, let's not do that again, (laughs) That was a little scary. Why, from now on, you just go talk to God for us and let us know what he says. In Hebrews that we read today, it even says Moses was terrified and trembling. That is the God whom we serve and that's just one of the reasons that he is worthy of worship, whether he had done anything for us or not, just by who he is. Well, then we read some more in that passage in Hebrews. Hebrews. And Hebrews, if you've ever read much of the book, is uses a lot of Jewish background and terminology. Uh, That's why it's called Hebrews. And there's lots of it that, unless you really dig deep into the history and the context and the culture, uh, may not make a whole lot of sense. But when you do, it really a lot of it becomes very neat well in this particular passage the writer uses a lot of fancy Jewish and early Christian lingo to say basically that God is going to shake the earth again as he did at Mount Sinai only on a much larger scale but he also says that when this happens uh, the only things that are going to be shaken or destroyed will be the things that are shakeable and that we as Christians and Christ followers are inheriting a kingdom not of this world, a kingdom of Christ and this kingdom is unshakable this is our hope in God and then it comes finally to the last two verses and I'll read those for you again it says therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire Okay, Neil, that's nice. But I thought we were supposed to be talking about worship by serving and not seeing it here. Well, it's actually in that word that the NIV uses the word worship right there where it says so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The original word and I don't pull these out very often um, partly because they're hard to pronounce but because they use sounds and things we don't typically use in the English language but this one is something like la truo la and here's the thing about this word more often than not they translate it serve but because of the context of this passage it worked to also go with worship now there's words in the Old Testament which was written in Hebrew, this is a Greek word but there's words in the Old Testament that are written in Hebrew that kind of do the same sort of thing. Because the concepts of worship, worshiping God and serving God, are so closely linked together that sometimes there are words that are kind of interchangeable, and they just have to make a judgment call on how to translate it at each one. The fact is that being God's worshiper and being God's servant are essentially the same thing. There are obviously differences in the connotations and if you looked up the Webster definitions, there's differences between those two words, worshiping and serving. There's nuances to how you would define each one. But ultimately, if you truly worship Him, you will be serving Him with your life. If you truly worship God, you'll be serving Him. And so you find these words that are could have, they could have just as easily said, and so serve God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So I think that it's safe to say that worshiping God means serving God. So can we all agree that A equals B in this case? All right, well, let's move on to, to whether or not B equals C. And that is, If worshiping God means serving God, and serving God means serving people. If serving God means serving people. Let's find out if B equals C. And to do that, we're going to open up your Bibles. So hopefully you still have those handy. And we're going to turn to the book of Matthew. This is the very first of what are called the Gospels in your Bible. Proclaim the Acts and the message of Jesus on earth. And we're going to turn to the 25th chapter of Matthew. And if your Pew Bible is the same as mine, you're looking for page 1038. Here, Jesus is telling. A story, if you will, an illustration about what's going to happen at the end of all things. We believe as Christians that at the end of things as we know it, Christ will return and he will sit as judge over all Now, that's not a very popular thing to say nowadays when we talk about judging things. No one's supposed to judge anyone, and it seems like God's not even allowed to judge things sometimes when you read things in the media or whatever. But I've thought about this when it comes to judging. If you're a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of being judged someday for what you've done and not done in this world, and for how you've lived, and for the decisions and choices you've made uh, first of all, let's all agree that someone needs to do some judging. Because we would all agree that there's been some things done in this world that simply... Some people just need their comeuppance, if you will. <laughs> there are some things that have happened in this world that are true travesties and judgment needs to be handed down. And if we're going to have someone judge us, there's no one I would rather have judge me than the one who gave his life for me, because he loved me that much. Such is the judge that we read about here, starting in verse 34. Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. Says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Well, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. This is a famous and challenging passage of scripture. He goes on to then speak to the unrighteous. And he tells them the exact opposite, that they never clothed or fed him. They never cared for him and they said, well, when did we see you in that condition? And again, the same thing. Whenever you didn't do it to one of these who needed it, you did not do it to me. There seems to be this correlation, this relationship between our relationship to God and our relationship to others. Somehow or another, the two are very connected Throughout scripture. Think about the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. One of the things he said was. Pray father forgive me. As I forgive others. Somehow or another the relationship. Of our forgiveness from God. And the way we forgive others. They're linked. God doesn't want us to. Receive forgiveness from him. And then withhold forgiveness from others. It just doesn't work that way. Also, earlier in the series, we looked at a passage where they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? And maybe you remember that Jesus replied, well, the first one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he gave him a bonus commandment. He said, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And see, again... Those two things, they they can't be separated. How we treat God and our relationship with God and then our relationship with others. Jesus is all the time connecting the two. In that particular commandment, I feel like the first one tells us what's the most important thing. Loving God with all we've got. And the second one tells us how to do it. By loving our neighbors. By serving others. And so Here in Matthew 25, he lays it out again just about as plainly as you can. If you want to serve me, if you want to serve the Father, serve others. Somehow or another, our relationship with God, how we relate to him and how he relates to us, is very much linked and connected to how we relate to others. And so it's safe to say that B equals C. Serving God means serving people. We all agree on that one? Alright, well let's see then about A equaling C. It must be true according to transitive relation. <laughs> the math of worship. So we've got if worshipping God means serving God and serving God means serving people, then worshipping God means serving people if A equals B and B equals C then A must equal C but we can do better than that we're going to look at another passage of scripture you'll find this one in First Peter if you want to go there with me that would be great First Peter 4 and again if your page numbers are matching up with mine you're looking at page 1,273 it's towards the very end of your Bible there's a bunch of small little books Uh, so if you hit 2 Peter you've gone too far imagine that 1 Peter 4 and we're going to begin with verse 7 the end of all things is near therefore be clear minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What does it say happens when we serve others with the gifts and the strengths God has given us? It says that there in verse 11... It says, do these things so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When we serve with the things, with the gifts that God has given us through His Holy Spirit, which we'll get to in the next series. How about that for a plug? Just worked right in. When we serve and use the gifts and the abilities and the strengths that God grants us, and we use those to serve other people it says then that God will be praised through Jesus Christ so this all makes sense then if worshipping God means serving God and serving God means serving people then worshipping God must mean serving people now that we've established that That's true. What do we do with it? Well, first I want to challenge you, individually, to use the gifts that God has given you. I believe that there are things you can do far better than I could ever do them. Yes, even though I'm the pastor. And there's a few things that I can do that you wouldn't be very comfortable with. Some of you would rather die than be up here on this stage talking to people. (laughs) And there was a time when I would have too. (laughs) But God has given me a comfort with being up here and talking. And he's giving you comfort and abilities to do things that I wouldn't be comfortable with. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. Part of the reason why may be that not one of us can be everywhere at once. Not one of us can meet every need of this church or of this world, certainly. And so God needs to give different passions and different gifts to different members of his body so that we can all cover all the serving that needs to be done. So what gifts has God given you and what passions has he stirred in your heart? And if you're not sure, begin to pray about that and begin to think about what is it that I love to do? How could I serve God with what I know how to do already? There's a lot of needs in this world and I've noticed that God gives different people very specific and deep passions about some things and some of us we're a little bit passionate about a lot of things and that's okay too God needs all different kinds of people. But maybe, you know, maybe you've been like me and there's been times in my life where, man, I'll hear a missionary talk about missions and and it just, you're like, wow, you know, I mean, they're so passionate about missions and you feel kind of a, a tinge of guilt because you're not that passionate about missions. But do you know what? You're not, we're not all supposed to be equally passionate about everything. Because if you were just that passionate about missions, that wouldn't leave you the room to be passionate about something else that's important for the kingdom. Does that make sense? If, In the same way with, you know, like uh, right now I'm meeting more and more people who are becoming very passionate about stopping sex trafficking, human trafficking. And that is an awesome thing that needs to be addressed and we need passionate people about them and sometimes again when you hear someone really passionate about it and they're asking you hey get on board with us help us out you're feeling a little bit guilty because man I'm not that passionate about that but you know what God's not necessarily asking you to be that passionate about that but there is something or there are some things that we can be passionate about. And here's the other thing. We don't have to necessarily, you don't necessarily have to start up some huge ministry, but there are ways that you and I can help the people who God has given that very specific and strong passion for. And we each have gifts, and we each have resources that we can use for the kingdom. And we can partner with these people that he's called to do very specific things. And we can make a difference by partnering with them. So the next time you're tempted to feel guilty about, Wow, I'm not as gifted as him, or as gifted as her, or I'm not as passionate about this, or as passionate about that. Realize, take a step back and say, that's okay that I'm not. But how can I help them since they are? At the very least, we can pray about them. We can resource them. We can encourage them. We could go on and on and on about this. There's people who have gifts of fixing stuff. And they just come up here and fly around the church and fix everything. And you think, man, I wish I could do that. <laughs> but we're not all going to be able to do that. There's people who are financial gurus. You know, and they can come up here and they can punch numbers and they can make sure that the bottom lines all add up and keep the church in the black because that's better than the red. And, you know, we, we all have our certain gifts. And we need that just as much as you need an arm and a leg, not just all arms, as the Apostle Paul likes to use the illustration. We're the body of Christ. And we have our different functions and our different roles. So, which one do you have? And as the quartet sang earlier tonight, this morning, how about that? We're already at nighttime. Just like that. Moves fast when you're having fun. But surely you can do something for God. Surely you can leverage the resources He's given you, all that He's provided you, the gifts and the talents that you have that we don't all have. Surely you can do something with those to serve Him by serving others. And the second thing I'd challenge you with is that together thing again. Yes, there are things we need to do individually. There are ways and people that we need to serve individually. But there's something powerful as well about joining together in a unified force as God's church and serving. If you look around this room, you'll, meet, you'll see people who you know do awesome things around here or in the community. They love to serve and get their hands dirty in service. And that's powerful. But it's even magnified in power when we join together and serve together as a church. And that's true too between other churches when you gather as a group of churches and do something uh, in a few couple of months or so uh, maybe a few months uh, it'll be here before we know it uh, we're going to share with you an opportunity to join with a thousand other churches in the church of God in in giving a thousand dollars towards some specific things that the church of God is wanting to do and that human trafficking thing is one element of it the main element of it but there's some sp- specific things they're gonna, they want to do with that money and it's going to be a really neat thing to partner together with other churches we couldn't raise a million dollars by ourselves or if we did it would take us a while <laughs> probably unless y'all have something hiding <laughs> in the account I don't but together with other churches when we unite the church can do so much more and that's true on our scale here as well. There's things that we can do together where at the end of an hour we'd say, wow, I couldn't have done that if I spent all week doing it. But because we're serving together, we make an even greater difference. There's a great power in worshiping and serving in unity. And God knows it, and that's why His Word begs us to be unified as believers As we worship and serve. Satan also knows it. And that's why he works overtime. Trying to sow discord in the church. Because he knows. That there's power when we serve together. So. Practically speaking here. What I'd like to ask you to do. Is first of all. Just let this whole concept. Let this idea soak in. And let's begin to look in the meantime forward, let's look forward to serving together one of these days, sometime soon as a church. And already we have members of our church who are gearing up to kind of scout out some possible opportunities. Because one of the neat things about serving nowadays is I I feel like God is is really moving in this area and there are people as I mentioned earlier who are passionate about specific things and they create ministries and then other churches are able to partner with those ministries and there was a day when we felt like boy if the church is going to do anything we have to invent it from the ground up ourselves and it's really hard to do with limited resources and so forth but again when we team up with other people with other groups we're able to do amazing things. And so we're going to have some people who are going to be going and scouting. As and That's what I'm calling as scouts. I'm kind of thinking of the scouts that went out and checked out the land of Canaan. And hopefully we will come back with a more positive message <laughs> than some of those scouts did, if you know the story. But uh, we're going to be checking out a soup kitchen kind of do and, and see if that may be a place we can serve. Uh, there's a group from of our students that are going to be going to a food bank and serving and seeing what that is like. And we're just going to go and, and check out some things. And what we're going to be looking for is something that our church can do together. Because we are a multi-generational church. We have people who um, probably wouldn't want to be doing manual labor and people who might like to do it. And and so forth and so we're going to be looking at at something that our church can do together and I don't know how long it will take us to find that but we're in the process of looking so pray with us about that and let's look forward to a day when we get a chance to join together and do some serving together in the name of Jesus Christ because there's power in that one more thing about this I believe that the most amazing things happen when we serve together. The first one is what we've talked about today God receives worship, He receives glory. Our serving together is an act of worship. Another amazing thing happens when we serve together someone else's life is touched and made better because we served in the name of Jesus and the third thing that happens is that we're blessed by it and that sometimes comes unexpected when we make a difference together it's hard not to come away with a smile on your face I remember uh, I guess it was been a couple years back my, the small group I was a part of was doing a service project. and uh, Julie and I went to this place where it's kind of, uh, maybe you've heard of Convoy of Hope, uh, but they send relief to, whether it's Hurricane Katrina or t- tornadoes in Oklahoma or things overseas, they send immediate relief, food and things like that and uh, they're based out of Springfield, Missouri so sometimes we would go to their huge warehouse there and, and just volunteer on Tuesday nights well, sometimes on a Tuesday night it's already been a long week <laughs> even though it's only been a couple of days and I remember we were on our way over there and I think probably both of us were kind of feeling like boy, it's been a long day would really like to just go home and eat something and go to sleep <laughs> It sounds a lot better than working for an hour or two and we showed up, and we served, we worked hard, and when we left, we felt better than we had when we came. even though we had spent all that time working harder than we had all day, and we were tired when we got there, but we left with a smile. And that's because I think Jesus was on to something when he said, it's truly better to give than to receive. better to serve than to be served it doesn't make sense in our human logic and yet it works out that way when we do it and you would think we'd catch on but sometimes we're a little slow and we forget what it feels like how good it feels to serve and to make a difference in someone's life in the name of Jesus so in the meantime as we scout and hunt and you can let me know if you want to be part of the scouting party you just have to promise not to come back and tell bad stories about giants Uh, then let's be praying let's be praying about new things and new opportunities and new ways that we can serve God together because if worshipping God means serving God and if serving God means serving people then this worship thing we've been talking about the last few weeks also means that we need to serve people let's pray together Our Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. He came from heaven to a dusty wilderness of a place with dirty people, with ugliness, with sin, with corruption, with pain, with suffering, with death. And Jesus, you announced when you came that you came not to lord it over people, but to serve. you set the ultimate example for us. And we know from your word that you receive glory now when we, your church, your body, your hands, your feet, when we serve others. And when we serve others, God, we're serving you. And certainly, you deserve our service. Because look at what you've done for us. Surely we can do something for you. And we pray, God. We pray that you would help us to do just that. Give us hearts of compassion. Of gentleness. Of servanthood. So that the world might see the love of Christ when they look at us. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus who is able to grow that in us by his Holy Spirit. Amen.